for coming. Good to be here with you this morning, and uh, good that we're under 100 people, so we can, st- <laughs> we can still meet and not follow the directive to, uh, to stay away. All right, um, we're going to do, as I, as I said uh, earlier, for the Sunday school part, uh, some will be a little repeat, but then there'll be new things added along. Um, and the question we asked last Sunday morning was, does Satan have a battle strategy in this economy or this dispensation of the grace of God? And the answer is yes, he has. Uh, you think that he's learned through all the different things he's done throughout history, first of all, uh, to destroy the seed that God said would crush his head. Satan attempted everything he could to destroy the seed. Uh, then when the seed actually came, which was Jesus Christ, now Satan does not have foreknowledge as God has. And keep in mind that foreknowledge has nothing to do with forecausing something. Foreknowledge is knowing about something ahead of time before it happens without being the one to force it to happen. For instance, if uh, the closest thing we could get to foreknowledge in our thinking would be a crystal ball that actually worked. If you had a crystal ball that actually worked and you could look in that crystal ball and see who was going to win the next election, for instance, you wouldn't be causing that to happen. You'd just be seeing ahead of time what was going to happen naturally. So foreknowledge is about God knowing ahead of time what was going to happen before it ever came about. And um, without saying, this is what's going to happen because I'm going to cause it to happen. That's something different. And we'll study that down the road and I'll show you that in Scripture, the difference and, uh, but foreknowledge is the key to, to everything. God could have, if he had a large uh, proverbial um, would you, a legal pad in the sky, he could have drawn a line down the middle, knowing all the offspring of Adam before anyone ever came from the loins of Adam. He could have said, saved, lost, saved, lost, in, in respect to, rather be better way to put it, uh, believing, not believing, believing, not believing. He could have listed what everybody would do before they ever did it because he has foreknowledge, without causing a person to believe or not believe. He, give, he's, he will never violate man's volition. He gave volition, and he has to give volition. He had to give volition to be love, because volition, love doesn't force itself on anyone. Love just loves, but love can motivate you to choose the one who loves, and that's what God did. He gave man volition, then he motivated us to choose to believe him, based on what he did for us. We love him because he first loved us. So we had the motivation to love him. But Satan, you'd think Satan, learning how God thwarted his move, every time he chose a different uh, strategy, a different tactic, God thwarted it. God called it divine intervention. God countered Satan's battle moves all through history. And we listed, what did we list? I think nine, nine of them in our previous study. As we followed through scripture what he did and how God countered it every time. Uh, but today, the Apostle Paul tells us, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That means you're not my enemy, and no other person is my enemy. Um, but something else is my enemy. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, immediately, we take that to mean demons, don't we? Spiritual wickedness in high places. Satan's Satan's got his demons out there and they're out there trying to work with each of us. But that's not what he's talking about here at all because the verse doesn't end there. The passage doesn't end there. Let's go on and ta- see where those high places are that we wrestle against. They are called strongholds in Scripture. And where do strongholds take place when it comes to people? So today, 
we saw that with every operation Satan uh, brought forth, God countered it. Uh, now it's Operation Confusion and Incomprehension because Satan was conquered. The battle was won at Calvary. The only thing that could separate mankind from God was mankind was sinful. We had that sin disease. The Old Testament told Israel, your sins have separated between you and your God. So it was sin that separated from God. And Satan had that as a major tool in his, in his tool chest, in his contrary to God tool chest. His major battle weapon was sin. And when he instilled that in Adam and Eve in the garden, in one sense, he could sit back in his easy chair and say, now, I don't have to do another thing. Watch. Watch as mankind and the minds of men take, take mankind downward, all the way, away from the God that they were supposed to be serving. Because all Satan had to do was take Eve's focus, and, there, and then Adam followed, off of the God who was their everything, and turn that focus onto self, which is what he did. You'll be as gods. You'll be able to determine your own right and wrong. You'll be the determiners of your own destiny. Uh, you can be the decision makers from now on. You and Adam are going to be just like God. You're going to be as gods. That was Satan's desire, was it not, to be just like God? I'll be as the most high, he said. So that's the most high God. So when he did that, Satan could sit back, as I said, in a manner of speaking, and watch the devolution, not the evolution, that's the lie, <laughs> the devolution of mankind from that point onward. He could watch it play out just as well as he knew it would play out because Satan's tool was sin. And he instilled that sinfulness into Eve when he made a suggestion, turning her focus onto self. And when she rebelled and Adam rebelled, from that point forward, Satan could say, sin will separate humanity from you. So I can keep you from establishing the seed through this woman that's going to crush my head just by corrupting humanity. And he did that with that issue called sin. Until the God-man, the physical manifestation of the invisible God, took all that sin upon himself and paid the price to satisfy God's justice for that sin. When that happened, guess what? The battle was won. The battle was over. It was done. Because he made an open show of them. The Bible says he made a show of them openly. He defeated Satan at the cross when it came to mankind. But Satan wasn't done. Satan says, well, if I can't have their souls <laughs> because of sin, I'll settle for their lives. And that keeps the glory from going to God, keeps the glory going somewhere else. And so right now, Satan's battlefield is right here between these two ears in every person's mind. And those are the strongholds that Paul's talking about when he said we wrestle against principalities, powers. Uh, the order of our thinking is where it all takes place today. That's the battlefield of the mind. Where is the mind taking itself today when we have a fr just a slight fraction worldwide of the deaths from, uh, from this coronavirus? It's just another cold flu type of virus where's the mind of man taking itself when it comes to the panic buying in the grocery stores? My goodness, it, it, they just riddled the stores because people are in a panic. They're in a panic over this thing. And, and I believe there's a purpose behind that, uh, and that's a, the crash of an economy, um, which would serve, serve a purpose in some fields, in some areas. But it's Operation Confusion and Incomprehension today. Keep 
the American people and the world people for that matter confused in their minds as to the battle that Christ won over sin at Calvary. So Satan would say, well, yes, but <laughs> the battle hasn't really been won. God wants you to help fight that battle. And if you don't help fight that battle over your sin, well, maybe God won't accept you. And so he has people becoming sin managers, which is what religion is all about. We become sin managers trying to manage the sin rather than realizing he's already won that victory. Uh, God's won that victory through Christ. So it's Operation Confusion and Incomprehension, which is why Satan's ministers are transformed into ministers of? So it's doing it through the mind today. That's his game plan today. So his present-day battle, Operation Confusion and Incomprehension, there's one after this. Discredit the message comes first. Now there's this one after this ninth one. There's a battle strategy that takes place after discrediting crediting the message takes place, and that's to discredit the messenger. And we see that happen with Paul, didn't it? If I can't discredit the message, because Paul's going to keep preaching, and he constantly prayed for boldness to open his mouth and declare the truth, then he would discredit the messenger. And where did Paul spend his final years of ministry? Locked in, a, in his home, didn't he? He was under house arrest, but did the message continue to go forth? People were allowed to come into his home, and he was winning people over right and, uh, night and day to the truth uh, that were coming in to visit him as he was under house arrest. But many people, all those in Asia, he said, all in Asia have heard me. Then he turned around and he said, all in Asia have departed me. Why did they depart Paul? He said, they're ashamed of my chains. So how could they want to proclaim that this is God's man when they've got him in chains in a house and he can't get free. So discredit the messenger comes after discrediting the message. Discrediting the message comes first. And how does he do that? Why perverting the gospel of Christ through men's imaginations and contrary doctrines. And Paul talks about contrary doctrines. Diminish the accomplishments of the cross work of Christ. And he does that every day by making about something else that sounds very good. Sounds wonderful to men. It sounds like the way it ought to be. Is there a verse in the Bible that tells us about things that we think are right that end up, end up not being right after all? <laughs> There's a way that seemeth right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of what? Yes. Death. So, by diminishing the accomplishments of the cross of Christ and turning Christ not into one who saved men, redeemed men from their sins, all men, so that all we have to do is believe. They turn it into something that you have to do your part for. If you don't play your part, then your sin's still there and you're still going to pay for your sins in hell. But nobody be in hell paying for sins Christ paid for successfully and the Father accepted the payment for. They'll be in hell by rejecting what Christ accomplished at Calvary. So you'll not hear Calvary mentioned in many of the churches of today. Not that they're bad people trying to, to go out and counterfeit something that's true. They just haven't heard it. They're people we should love and we should try to reach with the truth. But they're reaching people through something other than the truth. And it's through the emotions of men. So give them a place to come where their emotions can be tickled. <laughs> uh, which Paul talked about. Um, they want their ears tickled. That's a, a, a colloquialism for they want their emotions tweaked and satisfied. And that's what they're offering today. 
when you go to a or see a healing service, for instance, on TV where they're shouting and jumping and people falling backwards, what part of you would respond to that? The emotional makeup of man responds to that. And if Paul's true, the saying is true, we know it is, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he's telling us that the miraculous will be done in the last days. True miraculous will be done. I've not seen it, but that doesn't mean it's not happening. But the power source behind those miracles will not be the God of heaven. It'll be Satan himself. As in the last days and the tribulation period, he's going to uh, cause fire. The Antichrist will cause fire to come down from heaven. How many people believe he's the true Christ when he says he is and he's bringing fire down from heaven? So the, the battleground today, as I said, is in the arena of the mind. First of all, to pervert the true gospel of, of Christ through men's imaginations and contrary doctrines. Paul talks about both. And to the, diminish the accomplishments of the crosswork of Christ and have people loving Christ without a crosswork involved. And you'll often hear that. Love Jesus. Don't you love Jesus? Yes, if you love Jesus and you trust Jesus, that's all we have to... That, you'll be saved. Why, you're a member of the household of God if you love Jesus. Loving Jesus isn't what saved you. If loving Jesus was what saved men today, guess what, folks? We're, we'd all be in big trouble. Loving Him has nothing to do with your salvation. Paul loved the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. Uh, Paul loved God. He served God with everything he had. Zeal beyond what we have today. He believed God in his way of thinking, he was doing God a great service by killing believers before he became Paul. So he loved God, served God, worked for God, was zealous for God, uh, but he was lost because he hadn't really believed God. And so um, Paul was lost until he believed God, till he took God at his word. Uh, so discrediting the message comes first. Divine intervention, I like to call the doctrine of thinking. It's an extremely important doctrine because it's the doctrine that Paul's epistles are filled with doctrine of thinking. Think on these things. We have the mind of Christ, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened to know. Paul uses doctrine of thinking throughout his epistles. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Here it is again. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to pulling down of strongholds, casting down. Now you know what the strongholds are. They're not demons playing games with you during the day. They're strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every high thing, bringing into captivity every thought. It's the thought process that destroys us today. You can be saved. You can believe what Christ did for you at Calvary. You can be sealed by the Holy Spirit under the day of redemption by believing what Christ accomplished where your sins are concerned. But Satan's satisfied if he can have the rest of your life and keep you defeated. Keep you defeated in your mind. Therefore, you're not sharing this and you're not very loving when you're defeated. <laughs> because the thought's on you when you're defeated. Satan loves it when he can defeat believers. And that's where his game plan is today. Because that brings glory, puts glory somewhere else and shifts it off of, of Christ and Satan is a glory usurper. Um, Satan would perform the miraculous if he could keep somebody in a belief system that did not believe in the accomplishments of the crosswork of Christ through that miraculous. And he's doing it. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Satan has ministers for that purpose. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. 
And don't be surprised. Don't be fooled by this. No marvel. It's not a great thing. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if Satan's ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. If he has ministers, he obviously has a false gospel, doesn't he? A gospel that looks real, looks right, seems right, but doesn't accomplish anything because it's not understanding what Christ accomplished when he died for the sins of mankind. I'm surprised, Paul said, that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, a different gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ, Satan's battle tactic in this age. First, pervert the message itself. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Is there any belief system out there that worships an angel that led somebody to some plates that were hidden for a long time? And then, uh, So even if an angel said something different, but how quickly we're fooled when we see somebody who we in our fleshly makeup would say, that's a godly person right there. How come he's so kind and loving, never says anything mean, that's a godly person. Is you know, we can never determine that person has to be a believer. I know he's a Christian. Whoa, what's that mean? You know, there are a lot of Christians that are not believers. Christian just means a Christ follower. A lot of people following Christ but don't believe what Christ accomplished at Calvary. So I don't like to use the term, although it was a valid term. And it wasn't just for Jews. They were Christ followers. But, of course, they were following Christ according uh, to whatever Christ was saying while he was on earth. And he had many good things to say. He also was telling them, you're not keeping that law for your righteousness. So it's not that we don't follow Christ. Paul said, follow Christ in the way that I follow him. And Paul was a follower of Christ. So Paul was a Christian in that sense, in the technical definition of the word Christian. Paul was a Christian. But today, it's, it's been a, a term that's been hijacked. And so today, the term is used so loosely that to use the term might leave people confused. When we say Christian, we mean a believer in what Christ accomplished at Calvary, but other people say Christian, they don't have that in their thoughts at all. So it's the picture we have and the belief we have in our minds uh, that's important. When we say the word, what are we talking about? It's important that they know what we're talking about because they use that word. But in order to see whether someone is actually um, sealed by the Holy Spirit, um, imbued or uh, what would be the word... Um, righteousified, as I like to say it, by having Christ's test score put on their paper. In order to know that, you'd have to know what they believe, not how they act, not how they perform. You'd have to know what they believe. So it wouldn't be using uh, God's words. It would be using God's word and seeing if they believe it. So maybe a question would be, do you believe in God? Who's going to say no today if they're in any of the religious systems? Who's going to say they don't believe in God? Yes, but do you believe God? And if they say, well, of course, then take them to 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. Say, do you believe that? Do you believe that God is not counting the sins of the world against the world today because he counted them all against his son? Uh, I have a good friend, and he brings more people into the truth. And he does that by just simply asking questions. He'll take somebody who's working for him. He's a contractor, so he has a lot of subs. And he'll say, well, where do you go to church? And then that person will tell him, and he'll say, what do they believe? You know, what? What do you have to believe to get to heaven? I just want to know what you think. And he says he's not encountered one yet that had anything to do with Christ taking the sins of the world upon himself at Calvary. It's always, well, the last one was a young fella, and he said, well, you just have to love God and love people. 
He said, that'll get you to heaven. And he said, well, where's the cross in that? And the guy was kind of dumbfounded <laughs> because that's not what's being taught in the churches through ministers of righteousness, unfortunately, in our day. Should we expect anything different? If Satan is as powerful as the God says he is, and he can even perform the miraculous, which he will be doing, if he's not doing it now, then Satan's pretty powerful. So when it comes to counterfeiting the true gospel, the true good news concerning what Christ accomplished at Calvary, where sins are concerned, with a gospel that leaves that out or diminishes that, we can't think that he'd be a manby-pamby counterfeiter and not do a good job at it. He's a better counterfeiter than any counterfeiter that's ever existed in the human realm. So we could accept, uh, believe that Satan would be presenting a message to mankind that appeals to their emotional makeup and keeps them from understanding what Christ accomplished where the cross of Christ is concerned. So <clears throat> they would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be to you anathema, which means have nothing to do with him. Have nothing to do with him. Stay away from anybody that's preaching a false gospel or not preaching what Paul taught concerning what Christ accomplished at Calvary. Because if I was preaching a false message and you're sitting out there today listening to my false message, you're validating the message I'm preaching by your presence. But people are not looking for truth today. They're looking through the emotional need of every man. And that needs connection. So people are looking for connection over truth. And they're searching for that connection and finding it by people who are acting loving because there's a connection. We belong to the same group. But that connection they're getting, and we were created for that connection, is not coming where truth is being taught but where a false message is being taught. And that's sad. That's so sad today because um, our responsibility as ambassadors for Christ is to get this message of reconciliation, as Paul called it, uh, out to the world that know nothing about that. Satan's counterfeit faith system will normally include three, there's actually four there. After conditional blessings, you could put conditional spankings. Conditional forgiveness. Is that being taught anywhere? You need to get forgiven. Well, don't eat that wafer or drink that juice if you have some unconfessed sin in your life because if you do, God's going to make some of you sick and he's going to kill some of you right off altogether. Total misunderstanding of what's happening in, what was happening in Corinth. We'll teach on that. Maybe that last Sunday of the month we'll get to teach on that. Uh, that's a whole lesson that we need to understand rather than take the traditional thinking of what God's doing where communion takes place as it's called today. Conditional forgiveness, conditional fellowship. Why, you can lose your fellowship with God. Even the systems that believe you cannot lose your salvation, you're eternally secure in Christ, will tell you that if you sin, you've lost something else. What's it called? Now you've lost your fellowship with God. You've just cut the cord. <laughs> you've cut the phone cord. Now you can't talk to him. He can't talk to you um, because you no longer, you've broken that fellowship with him that you should have through your sinning. Have you heard it? But there's two different words for fellowship in Scripture. One is koinonia, as I mentioned before. That has to do with who you are in your position. One is metoke, which is who you are in, in connection with your conversation. You have a fellowship, a koinonia fellowship with your spouse. You're one now. You're considered one flesh in God's eyes. So that's a position. That's a place. That's koinonia. Matoke is how you get along with that one you join too. <laughs> That's matoke in the Greek. And you have a 
fellowship, a joining with your spouse, which God says, let no man put it loud for space to come between. But your space that comes between through disagreements and conflicts that arise often in a marriage. And if anybody says they don't, they're telling you something's not true, not in my experience. And what will happen is <clears throat> you begin to, you'll never lose spiritually wise from God's eyes. You don't lose that connection. But you've lost your fellowship with your spouse. That's matoke. And that should be restored before the sun goes down. Don't go to bed with that because you won't sleep well sometimes. That'll be on your mind. It's been on my mind before. I know it's been on my wife's mind. It's been on your mind. And if you're married or have a girlfriend or whatever, it's been on their minds. When you don't get along, you don't sleep well because think thoughts are going around in your mind when you go to bed. And the reality is, you know, have that cleared up before the sun goes down. Now, if you have a fight after the sun goes down, I guess you get to the next day. <laughs> The whole idea is there, get it done quickly so it doesn't stay on your mind and stress you out. Stress can cause a lot of diseases of the body. What's our immune systems like today? When our immune system should be able to fight off something like this coronavirus, what is, what's our immune systems like? Stress is a destroyer of the immune system, I can tell you. A big one. So, conditional forgiveness, conditional fellowship, and if you've broken that fellowship with God and you can't, you got to... You've got to get those sins forgiven before that fellowship is restored. Why you're likely then, while that fellowship is not restored, to have conditional blessings. You see the perversion? And if you have some conditional blessings, now you don't have those blessings because you've broken your fellowship because you've not got complete forgiveness, you're likely to get some conditional spankings. And so God's getting even with me. Something bad happened. Oh, God brought that to teach me a lesson. So we need to look at that word chastisement in Scripture to see what that chastisement's all about, which we'll look at. All things are of God. So what did the cross accomplish? He's reconciled us to himself. God did this. We didn't do it. We could never do it. God reconciled himself, us to himself, and he did it by Jesus Christ. And he's given us that ministry of reconciliation. God was in Christ reconciling the entire world unto himself, not imputing, counting, reckoning, charging, uh, keeping a record of their trespasses unto them. And he's committed unto us that word of reconciliation. Why has he reconciled the whole world? For he, God the Father, hath made Jesus Christ his son to be sin in place of the world. Christ who knew no sin, so that we might, subjunctive mood in the Greek, we might be made how righteous? The righteousness of God himself in his son. The whole purpose of the body of Christ was so that God could look at what his son did, us being one with his son, he could look at what his son did and credit us with what belongs to his son. That's the whole purpose for making the body of Christ. And so no man will stand righteous before God. There will not be a resurrection of the just, same word as righteous, and the unjust, unless those who are raised in the resurrection of the just are righteous. It's the same word. There is a resurrection of all that are righteous, but not one person will be raised again in his own righteousness. The only righteousness that resurrection of the just will, uh, will include are those who have Christ's righteousness freely credited to their account. And they have that. That's the purpose for the body of Christ. By making us one with his son, what belongs to his son belongs to us. Which is why Paul calls us joint heirs with Christ. And would you say Christ's? Sitting at the right hand of God would need to get the Father to forgive him for some sins to restore fellowship. How about his blessings? Does Christ being blessed conditionally by the Father right now? Christ being spanked once in a while by the Father right now? 
and neither are we. But Satan would like to keep us that stronghold in our minds that our behavior affects our position with Christ. So God's attitude toward a believer, he's not seeing that believer in his sins. He saw his son in those sins. He's seeing the believer where? In his son. So when he's seeing you in his son, guess what Satan would rather you believe? He's seeing you in your sin. <laughs> and so it's not a matter of getting forgiveness for sins that Christ is already, God's already not charging to us because he charged them to his son. Um, but Satan would like to keep our minds. Um, look at what Christ accomplished. Who being the brightness of the Father's glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself, without your help, without your participation, or without your belief, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews 9.26. For then, if he didn't do it, if he didn't, if it wasn't once for all, as we sang this morning, he must have often suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world, at the end of the age, hath he appeared to do what? Put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Satan would say he can, but he hasn't yet. <laughs> he can put it away, but you need to keep it put away by keeping short lists. Um, and you that were, look at, the, verse, the wording here, and you that were sometime alienated from God and enemies from God, where? In your mind, not in God's, this is a stronghold. By your wicked works, yet now hath he, verb tense, already reconciled. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled. He's not saying, he didn't mean what he said when he said Christ reconciled you to God. He wants you to accomplish it. That's how people read that. Well, it says be reconciled. It's be reconciled. If he says you are, what do you need to do? Where do you need to be reconciled? God's mind satisfied. He knows what he did. He wants your mind to be satisfied with what Christ did for you. He wants you to be reconciled. But people that don't believe that he's not counting the sins against the world and want to believe he still is except theirs will tell you that, no, now you have to be reconciled. You have to do your part. God didn't give you a part to play in your reconciliation. He did it all. When he had by himself purged our sins. Who is he that condemneth? Is it Christ that died? Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of the Father, who also maketh intercession for us? What a defense attorney. So forgiveness is complete. The imputation of righteousness comes by faith. There's a difference in having sins not counted to you and having Christ's righteousness credited to you. That's something else. That comes only through belief. Belief in what? That your sins aren't being counted against you because we're counted against Christ at Calvary. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, would that be, include sins? Sure. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is where? In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Ye are complete in him, Paul says, which is the head of all principality and power. And he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, which is God in his foresight, his foreknowledge, sees you right now. He sees you already seated in heavenly places with his son right now. And your identification with his son. So it's not, this, this is not a conditional thing where, well, I might be seated there and I might not. Well, I hope I am, and the way we use hope today, maybe I hope so, kind of hope, that's not the hope we have. We have the confident assurance that God sees us right now, not in our sin, but in His Son. 
So his attitude with you is not fluctuating day by day, hour by hour, based on your performance. He knew about your performance before you ever drew a breath. And he knew it would never measure up. He could look at mankind and say, wow, there's not a one that will ever measure up. Not even one. I'm going to have to gift them with a declaration of righteousness that they're never going to obtain through anything they could commit to do or abstain from doing. They'll never get it. I'm going to have to gift them with it. So I'm going to have to justify or righteousify them because they'll never have righteousness through their behavior. And the way he did it was by keeping a secret. It was his intent all along. He was going to take all people who would take him at his word and join them to his son so that the righteousness belonging to the son could be credited to you guys freely. He justifies the godly or the ungodly by faith. How many are ungodly, according to Paul? <laughs> all of us. <laughs> um, so our position in Christ is permanent. Fellowship with God is unchanging. Your koinonia cannot ever change. Your fellowship, your union, your placement with God comes from your position in Christ, and that's unchanging. No longer identified with sinful flesh, but now forever identified with a perfectly righteous son. That's what it means to be joined to Christ. That's, that's a glorious truth. So we've got complete forgiveness, not conditional forgiveness. We've got complete forever fellowship, not conditional fellowship. And how about these conditional blessing statements? Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath already blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So we're already blessed. Grace and the cross allowed Christ to take all those who would take him at his word. God allow all those who would take him at his word and have his blessing package freely poured out on everybody. So that tells us that God isn't hiding a blessing behind his back. He's not blessed you with all but one blessing and he's hiding that behind his back. And he won't give you that till you satisfy him somehow through your life. And if you've committed a sin, unless you get that sin forgiveness, he's going to keep that blessing behind his back. That's all a stronghold in our minds. You could, if God could give you one more spiritual blessing that he hasn't already given you, then the Bible's a lie. Because it tells us he's blessed us with how many spiritual blessings? He's not holding one behind his back uh, as though, you know, well, as soon as they do that, I'll give them a blessing. But we speak that way, don't we? You know, I got a blessing today from God. What was it? Well, so and such and such happened, you know. Was it God that brought that about? We better be careful because we credit God with a lot of things God didn't do. And we blame or credit Satan with a lot of things Satan's not doing. We are led away by these lusts that Satan's presenting or are we led away of our own lusts according to Scripture? Our own lusts. We don't need Satan. You know, the devil made me do it. How false that is. <laughs> the devil can't be everywhere. He's not omnipresent. Only God is omnipresent. The devil didn't make you do something. You did something by your own volition. So don't put the responsibility on Satan. Take it on yourself. I did it. I knew what I was doing. I think most of us know what we do when we do it. I take that responsibility on me. I'm the one that chose and God doesn't. God will never uh, defy my volition that he's given me. He lets me make the choices I make. I can learn from them or not learn from them. But he doesn't bring them my way in order to teach me a lesson. He knew we would bring them our own way. And he knew what we would learn by how we get in his, in his word and learn where we've chosen unwisely. Uh, so if operation confusion incomprehension doesn't make, it doesn't work, he uses operation intimidation and incapacity. I'll intimidate the messenger. And then I'll incapacitate the messenger. I'll discredit and discourage the messenger to keep them silent. 
Paul's example sits in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Think of all the things Paul suffered with the shipwreck, with the stonings, with everything he suffered, with the Jews um, hiding in wait, laying in wait for him uh, to, to kill him. And he was fleeing his whole entire life, uh, appearing before people and speaking with fear and trembling, he said, for, for what might happen to him. Uh, and praying for boldness, that he would speak the word out boldly uh, because of them being after. We've not encountered anything like Paul encountered. Uh, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may, may be able to do what? Stand against the wiles of the devil. Um, Wherefore, taken you to the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with doctrine of thinking. <laughs> the battle's taking place here. You need to know the truth and quit falling for this conditional stuff. Uh, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. How is it obtained? Um, by being joined to Christ only, not by anything you do. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith. These are all doctrinal terms. Uh, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. So can we pray for another person? Yeah. When we do pray for another, we should pray for their boldness. We should pray for their being able to stand firm in the face of whatever's happening to them at the present time. Even if it means death, God knows about it. And so I like how Mark prays when the when the prayer requests are made, because he said God already knows about these things. Absolutely he does. You didn't catch God by surprise when you informed him what was happening to a neighbor, to a friend, or to yourself. God knew about it before you knew about it. And he allowed it for a reason. And he wants your faith to remain strong in the midst of your circumstances. When you remain strong in faith in the midst of your troubling circumstances, that brings glory to him today. He was glorified by taking those circumstances away in time past under the law program with what was called the prayer of faith in the law program. But that law program is not in power today. And it's not the prayer of faith today. It's the prayer of peace today. God gave us prayer not to get his attention, to get him on board, to help him meet our needs and change our circumstances. God gave us prayer so that we could say, this is bothering us and you told us to share it with you. And this is bothering us greatly. And you know what we want. But we know you know best. And we trust you in everything. If, if that person's a saved person that you're praying for, the Holy Spirit's inside that person. Is so, is the same way he's inside you. And Paul said, we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Holy Spirit's inside us making intercession for us according to the will of God. This is how you can pray with thanksgiving. Uh, Christ prayed, if there be any means, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So there's nothing wrong with praying for health, for wealth, for whatever you need to pray for, feel the need to pray for, anything that's causing you, you anxiety of mind, and saying, but I know you're in charge. And I know the Holy Spirit's praying according to your will for that person, if that's a saved person. And so we trust you. We can thank you right now no matter the outcome because we know you're there, you're aware, you care, and you got that person's best interest and your overall purpose in mind the whole time. Thank you. Thank you for that. We trust you no matter the outcome. That brings glory to God today. 
that we can stand firm in our faith when others that don't have faith can't stand firm. And they're wailing and screaming and crying because they have no hope that we have. They don't know anything about our hope. But we now can share our like sufferings with them when they see, oh wow, same thing's happened to Joe over there. He's a believer. <laughs> he's going through the same thing. But look at the difference in the attitude. As he stands firm in his faith, he's still trusting God, still believes in God, and all these bad things are happening. So we have peace of mind knowing God's in charge. Not that he's going to fix it, but that he knows about it, he cares about it, and the Holy Spirit's praying according to his will. And his greater plan is so much better than our short plan. <laughs> but in our short plan, which is what we want fulfilled, we often don't realize his greater plan is what he's working on, not our shorter plan. So... Watch ye stand fast in the faith. Quit you. Behave you. Behave like men. Be strong. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And that yoke of bondage is nothing more than God dealing with you on the basis of your performance. That's the yoke of bondage. Uh, so we can praise him all day long that, wow, it was indeed once for all, wasn't it, when he took that sin uh, from us. Stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Could any man say that today? Man, they say, what an arrogant, prideful person. Stand fast in what the sound words you heard from me. Paul could say it. And they say, well, you're elevating Paul above Christ. No, you're not. Where did Paul get those words you're to stand fast by? From Christ. <laughs> They're Christ's words from heaven. Uh, so the D we train, just so you understand what that's about, doctrine, intellect, will, and emotion has to work in that order. Doctrine is that which fuels our, our engine of understanding. It fuels the intellect. The intellect is what shapes our will, what we do and how we do it, by our intellect. But our intellect has to be governed or pulled along by correct sound doctrine. What's the caboose at the end? Emotion. That's the tickling of ears that men are going to want in the last days, according to Paul. They're going to, to not want stand by sound words from Paul. They're going to want their emotions satisfied. So there's a lot of caboose engineering being done today. And when you're led by your emotions, held captive by your emotional thought, your feelings of acceptance, maybe by other people or whatever, emotions governing the intellect then what happens when things go down, when things go south, when, when the friend turns to not be a, such a good friend anymore? When the spouse is not acting like a spouse is supposed to act, what happens to the emotions? And the stress level goes where? <laughs> and the immune system goes where? <laughs> so we're not to follow emotion. Uh, emotion makes a wonderful slave a horrible master. And so we'll end it there. But according to Paul, this is what will be governing people and the area, the realm of religion in the last days if Paul is, is telling us the truth. And I believe he is. So when your emotion goes down, you've got to go get another touch, as we used to call it <laughs> in my quartet days. You've got to get another touch from God. You've got to go back to church. And we feel good till about Thursday or Friday, and then we need to go get another touch. So they look at the church as though it's a filling station. The church isn't a filling station. The Word is the fuel rightly divided that fuels our intellect that shapes our will and emotions simply the exhaust but now it's the reverse thinking today as I said so we start out 
in many places today with the get the motion worked up to a fever pitch. Get people ready to hear the word, they say. No, the emotion should be the exhaust of having heard the word. See the difference? <laughs> All right, let's thank God in, uh, in prayer and be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you so much that you've given us everything we need for life and ministry in your word. If we'll simply study it and take you at your word and um, bring down these strongholds of our mind that would lead us into fleshly thinking and into uh, to world thinking and let that go and take you at your word and live the way you've told us to live, not out of apprehension by of something that might happen if we don't, but out of appreciation for where you've already placed us into your son and what you've accomplished on our behalf. We thank you so much for that. And once again, I thank you for the folks who uh, so faithfully come out to hear your word and study your word with me. Uh, you're just such a wonderful God and what a marvelous Savior we serve. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.